welcome to another episode of Footnotes. And today our guest is Dr. Cassie Aaliyah Ray. And she's the executive director of Serve and Connect, which is a nonprofit that seeks to build better relationships between local police departments or, or law enforcement and the communities that they are serving. This is a conversation that goes pretty deep into the how and the why she started that and what their work has been like at a real world level. This may be one of the most important episodes that we've ever shot, no disrespect to previous guests, but I learned a lot in this episode and I hope you would watch it until the very end and that it would be thought provoking and maybe lead you to think about some things differently and get involved. Check it out. Well, Cassie, thanks for sitting down with us. We've got Cassie Aaliyah Ray here with um, Serving Connect um, here in Columbia. And so Cassie, let's just dive right in. I mean, you're you're a nationwide or you're known around the nation, you know, for Serve and Connect. And so even people that are listening locally have probably heard of you and, and what's going on. But but maybe take us beyond the name Serve and Connect. And, and let's start with how did you get started and what was that like? Yeah. John, thank you so much for having me on and for telling the story of Serve and Connect. Sure. Uh, it's really exciting to be able to sit here with you and as you talk about how we got started in Forest Acres. So yeah. it means a lot. Uh, so first, big picture, Serving Connect. We're a nonprofit that has the mission of fostering positive change through sustainable police and community partnerships. We envision a future where police and citizens are working together as one community to address root causes of violence and to promote safety and thriving for everyone. We believe that together we are better, that what police and communities want at the end of the day is for our communities to be safe, our families to be protected, and our children to thrive. And so Serving Connect focuses on being the bridge builders, the facilitators, creating the spaces that allow for healing and trust and hope to grow where police and community can work together. I'm proud of how we've grown. Uh, it's, it's crazy when you look back at this journey. So taking us back to how we began, um, really started because my husband, Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, so Greg uh, was a police officer city of Forest Acres, and he was killed in the line of duty on September 30th of 2015. And when you think back to 2015, there was a lot of similarities to what we saw just recently here in 2020. A lot of heightened unrest and tensions between police and the communities they serve, especially Uh, traditionally disenfranchised or marginalized communities, just heightening that divide and um, a lot of fear, a lot of pain, a lot of anger. And 2015 was very similar to that. And it impacted me before Greg was killed. But then when he died, I just remember so deeply wanting to do something about it. That that experience, that divisiveness really impacted my experience of grief. Mm. Um, I knew that nothing would bring Greg back. And I also, even early on, knew that Greg died what he was called to do, which is to serve his community. Um, Greg was a great man, a great husband, great dad, 
great partner and my best friend. Um, and from everything I learned, a really great cop. Being called to serve others was something that he wanted to do from a very young age and was given the chance to do it in the place where he grew up. Over these past six years, there has never been one moment where I've ever regretted that he went into law enforcement. And I believe that if given the chance, he would have shown up on that day, even knowing what could have come because it meant that he was protecting his community. But given the divisiveness at the time, um, it just made me wonder if other people understood what he had sacrificed, what we had sacrificed. Um, I'm really that person behind the badge. And I wanted to find a way to bring people together. I just wasn't quite sure what that would be. How long, and, and I, I appreciate you going into exactly, you know, what happened and, and how you, you got to this point. Um, do you remember how long, so after Greg's death, how how long did it take for just this idea of Serve and Connect to, to go into your your, not just your head, but also into your heart. Yeah. How, long, how, how soon did that happen? So I don't think it was like a cognitive response. Like I didn't know, you know, at the time. So um, I have my doctorate in clinical community psychology. And at the time I was working on finishing my degree. I was very passionate about the work that I was doing, really focused on community health disparities and really bridging that research to practice gap to help translate all the great things that we know that work to promote community health into action. Um, so there's a lot of similarities now to what I, I'm doing, but I was passionate about what I was doing. I was focused on graduating from uh, grad school and I was a young mom. I was 28 years old and our son, Sal, turned six months old the day that Greg was killed. And so it wasn't like I had predetermined this sure. plan. Mm -hmm. But within hours, I just started taking action. So I'll never forget, one of the first calls that came in was a reporter from the state newspaper. And he was asking family if anyone wanted to talk about Greg, and I said that I would. And he said that, as I spoke, he was surrounded by other reporters who were listening intently because it was very uncommon for people to speak up after tragedy happens in the way that I had. Yeah. And the next call came in, it was Senator Tim Scott, and he said, Cassie, if there's ever anything I can do, please let me know. And I said that he could uh, speak on behalf of law enforcement, and he was on the Senate floor the next day talking about Greg, telling our story, and calling for support for law enforcement. And that's kind of how those first few days went. Anytime there was a chance to speak up, I did. And I did it for a number of reasons. I think, you know, one, I really wanted to humanize this experience of loss. I think far too often we forget that there are real people behind the stories that we hear in the news. Yeah. And I wanted to, I didn't want Greg's death to become another tally mark for one team over another. Um, what do you mean by that? One team over another? One team, one side. You know, you think about this police or community. It seemed mm. at the time you could either be for police or you could be a poor community that there was no middle ground. And when I think back to the news at the time, it just seemed that the framing of those narratives would be plugged as trying to post one side or the other, or fuel the debate on one side or the other. And I didn't want Greg to become a part 
of that narrative. You know, I wanted to remind people that there was a person who was killed and here's who he was and he was loved and he was a good man and let's kind of humanize this experience. Yeah. And I, I didn't want Sal, our son, to look back and see hate either. I wanted him to see stories about Greg um, and learn about who he was. He already asks questions. He's six, almost seven. Um, and I know one day he'll look back and I wanted to change that narrative to be more of a loving one than a divisive narrative. And that really was the core of it. Like, both for Sal, but also for a broader country to say, kind of break it down. You know, first, let's remember that this was a person, but let's change the narrative here. You know, it doesn't have to be us versus them. There has to be a different way that we can come together. And those, that seed, that desire to bring people together was really fostered very early on. So with changing that narrative, I mean, is, is that where Serve and Connect really came in at first, was just sort of understanding the narrative and, and then trying to go about bringing some change in there? Or? So early on, the gut reaction was uh, first, I think around showing support to law enforcement um, was not in a way that made it one team or the other, but just humanized and showed love. Um, and so that was initially how I got started. But over time, as it continued to grow, I realized that if we really wanted to change this dynamic and break down this divisiveness, it had to be much more than that. I just wasn't sure what that looked like. It's a much longer story and a journey, but I learned that I had so much that I didn't understand about why people distrusted police. And I had to do a lot more listening, a lot less talking, and I had to seek to understand that change isn't about being understood. Because there was times where I felt like if people could just see my perspective or hear how I feel, mm -hmm. maybe it would help shift the needle. And I think a lot of times we feel that way. Sure. You know, we, we want to be seen and humanized and understood. But what I came to see is that if I really wanted to make change, I had to really seek to understand. Can you take us into some of those early um, understandings that... Mm -hmm. that came about? Yeah. It was a pretty pivotal moment that I remember. I was invited to speak on a panel on race relations at the Capital City Club. Hmm. And it was one of my first speaking engagements. I'd never been on anything like that. And I remember feeling honored and thankful and felt, again, like this was a chance for perhaps people to hear my perspective. I thought I came into it with a pretty open heart, um, recognizing the position or privilege that I walked into the room with um, as a white police widow. Um, I felt like I came into it with that open appreciation. But as I spoke, there was a couple in attendance and I think I just represented a lot of pain for them. And they attacked me basically verbally. And uh, it was so bad that after the panel, the event coordinators tried to shield me and like pull me through a back tunnel so I didn't have to interact with this couple. But I swung back around and found them. And because I wanted to understand where they were coming from. I wanted to understand if I had done something or said something that upset them, but then also just hear their perspective. And we talked for, I think like an hour and a half. And wow. I remember walking away just seeing how much I had to learn 
that if I really wanted to be effective at driving change forward, I had to do a lot more listening. And that started a big journey for me. Do you mind going into what you what you heard from them? I mean... Um, I think there, there was a lot to it. Um, I think what I really walked away with in the biggest sense is just how deep the distrust and pain and fear goes, that it goes from its intergenerational trauma that's been experienced that also is reinforced by people's day-to-day interactions, not just with police, but racism in general, Mm -hmm. um, both microaggressions and direct experiences. And that was a process of, you know, as a community psychologist and someone who was focused on health disparities, I understood academically the inequities that exist in our country, but I think that that personal interaction really just highlighted how much I had to learn about the human experience of what that must have felt like and what the day-to-day was for someone um, who was experiencing something so much different from me and myself. So how do you, you know, you're executive director of, of an organization that you started through a very personal and traumatic and tragic experience. You're academically trained in a lot of the aspects of, of what you're doing. And then you you were out there in the community, eyes and ears, and, and your board and, and even the people that work there are seeing and hearing these experiences like you described. Take us into how do you take the training, your personal experience, and the, the gathering and learning, how do you take all that and then what's the recipe for taking that and turning it into something that creates change. You know, it's, I wish it was like, well, as simple as creating a recipe that I could say, step one, <laughs> yeah. step two, do this. It was definitely a messy and complicated journey. And something um, to share that was really a huge aha for me in this process was alongside this process of listening and learning, looking at research, evidence-based practices, seeing what else is out there. I mean, it's a iterative process, I'd say. Um, It also impacted my own personal experience with peace and Greg's death. Um, Losing Greg was the worst thing that I could imagine Mm -hmm. going through, especially as tragically as it happened. Um, But being asked what I would want for the life of the man who took him from us was a pretty hateful experience as well. It was like I was doing my best to stay above water and not drown in that grief. And every time I'd meet with the solicitor's office and get updates on the case, it was like I was being sucked back Mm -hmm. in. And there was one particularly horrible day um, where I left just feeling very defeated and not knowing how I'd get through, how I could sit in a courtroom and face this individual who represented so much pain for me and go home and be the mom that I want to be for our son. How I could teach him about empathy and forgiveness and compassion when I was struggling to find that so much myself. And I'll never forget, I had a work trip to, I was at the time I was working with the CDC on some consulting. And so I had three hours in the car by myself to Atlanta. And I just was racking my brain. Like, how am I going to do this? And 
there's a lot of different things, a lot of like I had done a lot of research on the process of justice and like, these rational explanations. But really what brought me peace was imagining how I would feel if I were the mother of the man who killed Greg. And immediately I pictured him just like my own son. So filled with hope and possibilities. And I realized that in there, how much we had in common, how much we both had lost, you know, that focusing on that end outcome, you know, at this point, how broken we both were and how none, neither his family nor mine wanted to be there, presumably. And uh, I realized then that the opportunity for coming together was um, recognizing that common ground. At the end of the day, what we want is for our communities to be safe, our families to be protected, and our children to thrive. And how do we create the bridges that make that possible? And at the core of that really is a focus on prevention and systems change, which is what my expertise in community psychology is. Specifically, I have a lot of expertise on bridging the gap between research and practice, a field called implementation science. We know we have, we spend millions and billions of dollars on research every year. Um, and we know a lot of things that work. But when you take and try to take these evidence-based programs and put them into the real world, there's a huge gap. And it, I read a study a few years ago that in the health space, only 22% of that research actually gets used. And so there's a big gap. Um, so there was an opportunity to help understand at the core of this common ground, this partnership between police and community is what community policing is supposed to be. Sometimes we think it's about handing out stickers or ice cream cones, but actually it's about partnerships that help address root causes of crime. Mm -hmm. And so um, really came to an aha that highlighted an opportunity for using my skill set in community psychology and bridging that research practice gap towards um, this social change. It wasn't like a clean process, though, to connect those dots. Uh, again, another memory I have, I was invited to the first uh, Charleston Forum, which was hosted in memory of the Emanuel 9 shooting. And I was on a panel with uh, D-Ray, who's, you know, national activist. And I remember after that, I had some of my friends who I had gone to school with. And one of them said, you know, Cassie, you did a good job, but you really didn't use your training in that space. Like I had leaned so much just on that personal experience as a widow. Um, and it was it kind of woke me up to, you know, how do these skills translate and using them to help facilitate change? So there's not a simple recipe I can share other than it's a process of reflection, of learning, of listening and connecting those dots over time that have led me to a space where I feel that has really magnified our ability to drive impact and arguably one of the most pressing social issues of our time. I mean, are these issues, do you think they're solvable? So, I mean, the issue, it looks at what issue that you're talking about. I think this issue of divisiveness and distrust between police and communities, there, it's a pretty huge mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, from the beginning of our country, arguably, there's spaces where trust has never existed. So try to rebuild it. You're, not, you're building it yeah, from it scratch. It implies that it was there to begin with. But our vision is we believe it is possible if we take a different approach, that it's not <laughs> us versus them, that we need to shift the paradigm and the way that we view this issue, that it really is in order to achieve those shared goals. If we want to make our community safer, 
We have to work together. If we want to create racial healing and reconciliation, we have to find ways to come together and sit at the table together. If we want to address some of the big barriers on mental health, we need to come together. Some of the biggest challenges that we're facing require partnership well, and, and I, collaboration. And I think when I hear you say that about coming together, and, and I've seen this through through watching your work at Serve and Connect and some of the things is you literally mean coming to get, like at a table together physically, right? Coming together I mean, at a table cases. physically, but importantly, it's also a different way of coming to the table together. Because okay. often people say like, we have coalitions, we come together. Often what happens is people come together in a space and they'll report out, give updates. Like I'm so-and-so from this organization, this is what I do. I'm so-and-so, they're not actually working together as one team and one community to accomplish shared goals. And so we really try to shift the paradigm within a community, shake things up, change the way that police and community partners are used to engaging together so that they really see themselves as one team, one community, one partnership that are working towards shared goals. And they bring different pieces of the puzzle to the table together, but they really see each other as partners, as friends, as collaborators, and they're working together more effectively. And so to your question, can we really solve this? Serving Connect alone, no, we can't. But what we hope to be is that spark, that impetus that helps show people the pathway out. Because it's, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, well, that sounds nice, but how are you gonna do that? So we're working with partners who believe that change is possible. We're collecting the data and we wanna say, look at this example in this community, look what they did. Look in this community, look what they were able to accomplish. So it's not one officer, it's not one department, it's not one community, but it can be replicated over and over again. And hopefully we inspire others to follow. There's just, I mean, this this could be like the first three hour episode um, of you <laughs> <laughs> shot. Um, we're probably gonna run out of batteries before we hit three hours. But um, I mean, there's so many things there in terms of. So, so I'm gonna go back to something you said about you know you, you these groups come together and people sort of report out and they talk about what they do and then there's another person that does another thing and all. So do you mean in terms of changing a process where maybe when you get these groups together and certainly you have experts and community representatives and people with with their own experience, but do you mean that they sort of redirect and say, I'm here to to solve a similar problem to you across the table or you and agreeing on like, hey, I, from my sphere, I'm working on blank. Is that what you mean? As opposed to hey, we've got 17 different groups here. We've got 17 different viewpoints. We've got 17 different experience experiences that are being brought in. But what does that really, I mean, for someone that's listening to this, that's maybe, they've seen what they've seen on social media. They've seen what they've seen on the news. They may be familiar with your organization, but I think in like, take us into what that really looks like to, to, to handle that differently. Because mm -hmm. I think everyone's seen, or they can imagine a version of what you're talking about. But paint the picture for us on on how it can look different. Like, what are the words that are used? What are the, how does, what does it look like? So I think so often, I, th I think about the past few years, when we're trying to create healing and police community relationships. We want to create town halls and panels. And we want to hit this issue head on. And um, we think we're going to solve it in a confrontational one hour panel discussion. Mm -hmm. um, but to get at that, we need to be able to have those type of deep, hard conversation takes first having trust 
in relationships to be able to get at those issues and to see each other as human. And so what we try to do is take those small wins and the baby steps to get there. Um, so often what will begin in a community is uh, our entry point is often with the police department, Serve and Connect. Sure. Sit down with the police department, start to understand where they're at. You know, what are some of the challenges that they're facing? What are some of the biggest barriers that are coming to light? Um, do ride-alongs with them. We want to see the community through their eyes, understand who are, where. what are some of the, the hotspot areas for crime in a community? Who are some of the key community leaders? How are officers interacting with the community and how is the community responding um, from there? often get introduced to community leaders to hear their perspective, do listening and learning sessions, um, community leader interviews. As that process kicks off, we want to get partners working together on shared goals. So maybe a first win is hosting a community event together and something very tangible and real. So it moves it away from we're trying to solve this big issue of whether or not I trust you we're trying to create a positive opportunity and space for the kids in our community. Or we are trying to do a community cleanup, like something very tangible that they can feel and achieve together. And that snowballs into additional opportunities where now they're starting to tackle some of the big challenges. So presently, as you and I are sitting here talking, Omari on our team, who's the lead community organizer, is facilitating a planning meeting with police and community leaders with the North Columbia or North Columbia Compass site, where they're planning a peace walk uh, that's really trying to engage youth in a leadership role in addressing violence that's happening, gun violence in the North Columbia community. And so in that meeting, you have different people stepping up. One is helping to lead the resources that are at the table. Um, other, someone else's a team is helping focused on recruiting youth and helping them shape the different routes and who the speakers are. Uh, someone else is, their team is helping with marketing, but on those teams include community and police leaders. So they're working together in different ways to accomplish a goal. And through that, they get to know each other, build deeper relationships and build hope. Tell a story of a resident in that area. Um, so in our work, a big piece is consistency and showing up because a lot of times people pop in, take a picture and leave. And so consistency is very important for trust building and creating that space. So as we started in North Columbia, we hosted weekly meetings in some of the highest crime communities with residents in the area, law enforcement, community partners. So one woman who showed up um, starting about the fall of that year, she came consistently for months, months, um, Actually, two years ago, we hosted the same walk, and then we had to cancel because of COVID last year. And after the walk, she very passionately said with tears in her eyes, this work can't stop. She was like, my first meeting when I came in, you don't know this, but it was the day that I planned to take my own life. And wow. because of you, because of this work, everything had changed for her. And she said that before we had started being out in the community, her and her kids were sleeping in one apartment in the back of already a small space because she was afraid of gunfire. But because of the trust that had been built, her kids, they were able to sleep in different bedrooms. And so everyone was getting better sleeps at night. And through that walk, she said she saw a light in her kids' eyes that she had never seen. And she was like, this cannot stop. 
And that's the type of impact when you get down to an individual, what change happens when we come together in a positive way. It's just, it's truly unbelievable to me that, like I'm aware that people may live that way. I, I don't know a single person that I have a, that I know personally that that lives that way and to hear that and to think that it's going on, you know, as the crow would fly, what, two miles from my house or three or whatever it is. But like in inside, you know, the community that I that I live in is. Yeah. I, and I don't mean to smile. You, you smiling the about host. That's never happened before, but I'm just sitting here. It's, it's and it's like your day job. I'm so, and I, I'm not smiling because like the tragedy of what people are living with, but it's like that spark, that aha that you've just had, like, like I got chills because I'm like, if we're really going to tackle this issue and achieve this cultural paradigm in our country, it takes aha moments like yeah. that where we can walk in someone else's shoes. And a big thing that we believe is it takes all of us. We're all pieces of the same puzzle and we need to show up. And so we have a walk on February 20th. Join us, like come out, you'll get to know them too. They've become my friends, my partners, my allies, and we are not so different. The only thing different is our zip code, you know? And that oh, know. is the only thing that divides <laughs> us. And, you know, just earlier I was in a talk with our Orangeburg partners and we were saying like exploring the ways how we get the broader community engaged and to care about the kids that are scared for their own life from gun violence. And there's a world for all of us, but we have to see each other as people yeah. that are neighbors. And we're just one big world family. I mean, not, this is, you know, we just got off the heels of Martin Luther King Day. And one of my favorite frames that Martin Luther King had was this concept of the world house, that we've all inherited this big world house, you know, and what what impacts one of us impacts us all. And that's really at the core of this. And we're attacked, attacking this issue from our own perspectives, but if we can walk out of that and walk in someone else's shoes, it makes the world of the difference. And I really think that we can create healing and real lasting change. Yeah, so we're going to have to bring you back for part two and three <laughs> and four and five on this. And I'm um, so passionate. I know I could talk and talk. I have story yeah. after story. I, I just I love what I do so much. Yeah. I love the people I get to meet and I love the change that we're seeing and it's possible. Yeah. Well, no, it really comes out when, when you're speaking and, and you've had a front row seat now for a couple of years on, on these kind of things. And, and you know, it. we need people that are doing what you're doing, not just the work part, but but also the learning part. Because, you know, you think about when you when you learn something, you, you share it with people. You know, if it, if it impacted your life and, and you've learned or taken in some information or something that's impacted your life, you're going to talk about it. And I think that in our little microcultures, or let's call it our zip codes, if you will, um, we, we tend to talk about the same things that are going on there, you know? And, and the thought, like, intellectually, I understand that there are people that that are unsafe, you know, are in an unsafe place. But it just sort of stops there. And I think about my own family, and that's not an issue for us. And, and for 99 out of 100 people that I know, probably. But... To your point, I mean, in our own communities, when you have people that have such a different life experience, like their everyday life is ingrained in those kind of things. And then you think about how that experience broadens out into a community and specifically in relation to law enforcement and community relationships and things like that. And again, we we, we see what's on the news, if you will, what's being reported. And that's not even to say that 
the whole story is not being reported. I think it, in 2022, we all know that the whole story is almost impossible to report. And so you have to investigate for yourself. And I think that's what, I mean, I'm learning this like in real time that you also just don't have to go that far to find it. You know, maybe that's the real sort of footnote here is that these things are happening in communities that everybody's living in. Every listener of this is living in a community that has these issues. And every listener and person that watches this has a choice to make. Yeah. It's, it's not, and it's not, it's just the courage to lean in, to listen and extend open hand, really. And I want to just, I love that footnote. And I think that's where that process of finding peace with Greg's death was just such a clear example of that because, you know, I was 28 years old, six-month-old baby, married to a 32-year-old cop, finishing grad school. It's not like we had anything fancy, but we were very blessed. Mm -hmm. But it just shows how the outcomes of someone else how intertwined both of our stories are. And that's yeah. happening every day. Like what happens to one of us impacts us all. And we have to be willing to see that this broader community, they're all our neighbor. They're part of our world family. And we just have to lean in and open up. And I think that's where a lot of magic is going to take place. And I'm, I feel like I'm living proof of that. Well, Cassie, if someone's been listening to this and they've, and they've been am, impacted in a way and, and they're, they've got that question rolling around as they're listening of like, okay, what can I do or how can I get involved? You know, the, the classic question. I mean, where can they find you? Where can they find your work? Um, is there a contact us page? I mean, what, yeah. what are those steps that they can take to begin learning? And I think that's where you said, like, start with learning. Just mm -hmm. start with being aware. You know, it's we want to roll up our sleeves and quote, do something, but sometimes that doing is, is often easier than, than even. Yeah. I think in this world, your point about like social media, digital community, like we are in a world where we want to have the sound bite, the tweetable phrase. Sure. We want to have that answer right away, but really the answer is to lean in and, and start the process of learning and growth um, for us all. So we would love if that process includes being a part of Serving Connect or just connecting with us to explore what that journey looks like for each person, or you just want to learn more, you can visit our website, serveandconnect.org, or check us out on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, our email is info at serveandconnect.net. Please reach out and uh, we'd love to open the conversation. Thank you so much for sitting down. Um, Thank you. We, we could have talked for, for hours. Um, I always love this talking is, to you, John. Well, this is it's fascinating. I mean, in in and in some ways that I really even didn't expect when when I thought about you know having you on here, but always provoking in a positive way. Um, thank you for doing something with that pain and hurt. You thank know, you. I mean, it, it, it's really unbelievable just to talk to you and to see what's going on. And thank you for sharing it on with us here. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor.